Well, good morning. Why don't we take a minute and pray, or evening. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we just look to you tonight and thank you that it's true that we are your sons and daughters through faith in your son. We're your children and that you love us so, Lord, as a father, you've said to come before you, bringing our requests, so, Lord, and you are moved by the things that move our hearts, and and we're just so thankful. And we ask you, Lord, tonight as we continue our time together that you speak to us and help us really to hear from you. May, O Lord, your word impact our lives so that uh, it really changes us and use it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago, uh, really probably shortly after I moved here for the purpose of helping to start the church, uh, a friend and I went to the Mountain Lair, which if you're not from West Virginia area, it's the student union for WVU, and we went on the campus, and our goal was to just share the gospel with college students, the good news about faith in Christ and how we could have eternal life. We were also trying to start a campus organization from which the church would eventually be born. And so one afternoon, we went to the mountain lair, and we saw a girl that was sitting alone at a table. She looked like she was kind of deep in study, and we walked over to her, and I introduced myself. I said, I'm Tim Herring, and this is so-and-so, and we're talking with college students today about how they can begin a relationship with God, how they can know for sure that they're going to heaven when they die, according to what Jesus said. <clears throat> Would you like to talk with us about this? And it was just a bold Kind of just go right out there and ask the question. And the girl said, yes, very enthusiastically, which kind of caught us by surprise because that wasn't the response we usually got. Uh, Usually people would talk to us. I think they were kind of interested, but not as enthusiastic as this girl was. But then she continued to speak. She said, you wouldn't believe this, but she said, I was just now praying that God would send somebody to me to tell me how to become a Christian, which got our attention. She said, my sister became a Christian not too long ago, and she was telling me about it, but I, I guess I wasn't that interested, but I just, I don't know, for some reason, I just, just really wanted to know, and so I began to pray that God would send someone to me, and then you walked up here. And so we began to share the gospel with her, how we've all blown it, we've all sinned, and that separates us from a holy God, and how we can't fix the problem, we need a a savior, and so God sent his son into the world, specifically to die in our place and for the things we've done wrong, to pay the penalty for everything we've done wrong. And he died and was buried, but he rose again from the dead, showing that the payment had been accepted by God. And if we'll put our trust in him, if we put our faith in him, we will receive the free gift of eternal life. And I said, is that something you'd be interested in? And she said, yes. And I said, well, why don't we just say a prayer? And I'll, I'll say the prayer, just expressing that you know you've sinned against God and that you need a savior and that you want to put your trust in Christ. And I'll say it line by line and you can say it in your own heart or you could say it out loud if you want, whatever you want to do. And she said she'd like to do that. And so we bowed our heads right there in the center of the Mount Lair, and I began to say a prayer, and as she was saying the prayer after me, she began to cry, and she began to acknowledge the fact that she knew she had sinned, and as she was reaching out for Jesus to be her Savior, and when I said amen, I looked up, and the tears were streaming down her face, and she was so filled with joy, she was just beaming, I think for two reasons, one is that she had found God, but second, that God had so specifically answered a prayer request that she had. 
She just knew that God had met her in that place. It was like a, like a God moment. It's always, not always like that, but it seemed like it in this case that God just orchestrated this event just perfectly. You know, when it comes to sharing our faith with other people, I think we live in a culture where it's a hard thing to do because it's not a politically correct thing to do. Uh, the idea that we should share our faith with other people comes across as you're just trying to push your religion on other people or trying to proselytize. You shouldn't do that. I think some people just think we shouldn't do that. And yet, as believers in Christ, if you have come to know Jesus Christ, there's, there's something within you that says, I, I want other people to know about this. But what do you do in a culture like ours? They say that there are two subjects, of course, that you're not supposed to talk about. One of them is politics and the other is religion. And based on the last two elections, I could see why you don't want to talk about politics. That's getting bad. I mean, when I look at my Facebook feed of the different sides of this issue, um, it's just unbelievable. You can't talk to people hardly about it because they just get so upset. It's hard to have a, a dialogue with someone anymore, which is a little baffling to me because I'm thinking, why can't we just talk about it? But you get near the subject and people just get all fired up. So you realize, I can't really talk about this subject. But religion can be the same thing. I think it's because it's so deeply personal to us. When you go to someone and suggest that maybe they have a spiritual need, they don't like it. I remember years ago, I was uh, on a bus in Columbus, Ohio, and I, for some reason, wanted to talk to the woman less, next to me about Christ, and I began to say something about it, about faith and whatever, and she got furious. She turned red. She had this huge purse by her, and she picked it up. I was sure she was going to just knock me out with this thing. Like, I hate people like you, trying to convert people. And I understand that. Really the first time in which I got a hint of how religion is sometimes misunderstood or how bothersome it could be to someone was when I was in high school. I was, I think, a senior. I had purchased a car recently and I had offered to drive a girl from our neighborhood home from school. And it was a fairly long drive. And as we were talking, I, uh, somehow the subject of religion came up, and she was from a Catholic background. I was from a Protestant background, and I just had some questions. And I began to ask some questions, like things I didn't understand, like why in the Catholic church is this taught or that? I wasn't trying to be confrontational. She suddenly said, stop the car. And I said, what? She said, stop the car. And I said, what? Stop the car. I'm walking. And so I stopped the car. I just didn't know what had hit me. It was about a mile from the house. I let her out. She walked the rest of the way back. And that was the first time I realized, is it something I said? And yet, this, this subject, if we, if we really believe the truth of the gospel, if we really believe the claims of Jesus, we should want people to know about it. I mean, a couple weeks ago, I shared... With you, for example, John 14, 6, where Jesus said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I know we live in a pluralistic society where any exclusive claim is kind of offensive. But what if it's true? What if Jesus is the only door through which you must enter? I am the way, not a way, the truth. I'm the life. Of course, he can make that claim. He created all things. All of life is because of Jesus. 
But it's this extra phrase here, no one comes to the Father except through me, and suddenly it's, well, I kind of wish it were a little broader than that. Of course, Jesus said that, that the road that leads to destruction is very broad, but the way of life is very narrow. And Paul confirmed this truth in Acts 4.12 when he said, there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. The word saved means to be delivered from the penalty of our sin. There is deliverance from our sin and the penalty of our sin in no other person. There's never been another name that's been uttered in heaven or on earth that's been given to people, and we must be saved through that name. Now, if we believe that's true, then we would want our loved ones, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives to know about this, but how on earth do you bring it up in a culture like ours? How do you talk about it? Well, that's what I want to talk about here tonight, the spreading of this good news. And I'm convinced, by the way, and have been for 47 years that it's true that Jesus is the only way. I say 47 years because when I was 12, I, I don't know what happened to me. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. I knew, I believe I'd put my faith in Christ when I was maybe five, but when I was 12, I saw it through a whole new light. I saw people need to know Jesus. They just need to know Jesus. And so I asked my mom for a white sheet that I could ruin. And she said, okay. She didn't know what I wanted to do, and I got a magic marker, a permanent marker, and I wrote out John 3.16, word for word, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I hung it out the back windows of our house, which faced the middle school. Fortunately, no one sued me over that. I mean, that's the culture we live in, but I thought maybe somebody, just somebody might see it. I cut the name Jesus in our lawn with the lawnmower. Jesus. I had a, a, a newspaper route, and as I went from house to house, I had these little gospel tracks, and I, I stuck them under the windshields of people's cars, which these days people don't like that, but back then, I don't think they minded so much, and I just went from house to house, and I just wanted everyone to know Jesus, and that was, I was 12, yes, I was a kid. 47 years have passed, I can't get around this idea that it's just about Jesus, and that he who has the Son, as John wrote, has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life, but the wrath of God still rests on that person because their sin has not been removed. And so I feel that even if there were no commands in the Bible, which there are, but if there were no commands telling us, go share your faith, if there were no verses like Paul wrote that were to be ambassadors for Christ, even if there were no verses like that, I would look at John 3.16 and I'd say just based on this amazing promise, whoever believes in him will have eternal life, I'd want people to know about it. But again, how do we do it? How do we share it? Now my main takeaway here this evening is this, that we should always be ready. We talk a lot around the church here about this idea of invest and invite. The, the idea is this, that one of the best ways to reach people for Jesus Christ is just to be involved with their lives. Invest yourself in the lives of other people, especially people that are maybe far from God, not necessarily church people, not, not necessarily Christians. And this is easier for you to do, by the way, than for me. I live in a Christian world. My, everyone I work with is a Christian, so it's a little bit harder. 
But we invest in the lives of people that we care about, and then when they're going through something in their life and they're looking for a spiritual answer, they may come to us, and we just need to be ready. We need to be ready to either share our faith or maybe point them to something like our Christmas service where they'll hear the gospel. Well, today I want to focus on a couple verses that are found in 1 Peter 3 that'll help us be ready. I see three things here in these verses. Why don't you follow along as I read 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 15, where Peter wrote, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready. Of course, that's where I got the takeaway. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. Let me read it again. But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear so that when you're accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. Now, Peter mentions a few things here about being ready. The first way in which I think we get ready is to have a prepared heart. A prepared heart, and what I mean by this is that you, you begin your day or you go through your day with the mindset that you are the Lord and I'm available to be used by you. A prepared heart has to do with our willingness to be used by God to, to lead other people to Christ or be used by God to be a witness in the world in which we live just to realize that God has us where he has us and we can be an influence on the people in our world. And so in 1 Peter 3.15 again, Peter said, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts, always be ready. And so I'm really just tying the two ideas together, that we honor him as the Lord in our hearts. Now, a couple things about this, the word honor here actually has the idea of make holy or set apart the Lord Jesus as holy in your life. Two things I want to note about it. Number one is that Peter here in this verse is quoting from the Old Testament. He's actually quoting a verse in Isaiah, chapter 8 and verse 13, where Isaiah wrote that we're to honor Yahweh, the, the, the personal name of God. Honor him in your heart. Honor him in your life. Honor him with what you do. And so Peter's quoting that. What's noteworthy to me about that is that Peter grabs a hold of it, a verse that was relating to God the Father, and he applies it to Jesus, demonstrating that he recognized that Jesus was God. He's just putting Jesus in there, Christ in there, Messiah in there. You set apart Christ in your heart as the throne of your heart, someone who's the Lord, someone who's in charge. Second thing is that this idea of honor really, again, is the word for holy. I believe that Peter had in his mind the Lord's Prayer. You know, the Lord... Lord's Prayer goes along the lines of our Father who art in heaven, or in this case, Jesus, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name, may your name be set apart. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in the heaven. I'm suggesting here today that we begin the day or we go through our day with this idea, I want your name today to be holy and set apart in my life, and I am available to you. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how do you want to use me today? Is there a way in which you want to use me today to communicate this message? 
Now, oftentimes, I think when this happens, if, if we're really willing, we'll be tested with it because it's kind of a scary thing. I remember years ago when I was a student at Ohio State, one day I was walking to one of my classes and I ran into someone that I knew was in my class. I did not know him real well. He was in one or two of my classes though and we had kind of a long walk and as we began to walk, I, I felt like God was saying, tell him about Jesus. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know what to do. You know, if we're walking in step with Christ and he asks us to do something, you can't prove, of course, that Jesus said to do it, but sometimes you just know. And I felt like God was saying, you know, you need to share the gospel with this guy, and I just didn't want to do it, but I, I, I prayed silently while we were walking and talking. I said, well, God, if you open the door, if you show me how to do it, I'll, I'm, I'm here, I'm yours. And as we walked along, I asked him what his major was, and he said, well, I'm a political science major, poli-sci. And the thought came into my mind, well, one of the pastors of the church I attended actually got a a degree in political science. And so I mentioned that. Well, that's, you know, the pastor of my church got a poli-sci degree. And then he asked me, what church do you go to? And I answered him. And then I asked him, what church do you go to? He said, well, I'm not real regular, but he told me what church he went to or the, the denomination he was a part of. And then I suddenly thought to ask the question, I'm curious, what does your church teach you that you need to do in order to get right with God? And he said, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. They don't talk about it. And then he flipped the question back to me. What does your church teach? And I began to explain the gospel to him, every part of it, how we're all sinners and how Jesus came to die for the sin of the world. And I ended up sharing the whole gospel. And even while I was doing it, I thought, how did this happen? I just was amazed by it. And he was very, very receptive, very soft-hearted toward it. Toward it. I don't remember how the conversation ended, but what happened, I learned that that afternoon, this young man had been elected as either the student body president at Ohio State or he was our class president. I don't remember which, but the thought occurred to me that this was someone who had just been elected in a position of influence, and God gave me the privilege today to share Jesus with him and the gospel with him, and he was very receptive to the message. And it's because I was open and willing to be used by God. And so I think that's part of it, just a prepared heart that says, okay, I, I, I set you as Lord of my heart and I set you apart and I want your kingdom to come, your will to be done. The second part of preparation is a message, prepared message. This, this relates to our ability to communicate the gospel. The question I would raise is, if someone came out and just, just asked you the question, what must I do? to get right with God. What must I do to be saved? I've had a couple people just ask me that blatantly. What must I do to be saved? It's like, that sounds like the book of Acts. You know, the, the Philippian jailer asked the question of Paul, what must I do? Would you know the answer to the question? Would you be able to answer the question? And I think we should be ready. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, Peter said, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. This word defense is a, a word that means really uh, an apologetic. It's the, the Greek word for apology or an apologetic for the faith. It means you, we need to be able to defend our faith. It was a word that was used in the legal sense, but it's broader than that. 
scholar by the name of Schreiner puts it this way. This does not mean, of course, that every Christian is to be a highly skilled apologist for the faith. It does mean that every believer should grasp the essentials of the faith and should have the ability to explain to others why they think the Christian faith is true. Are we able to do that? I have usually three main approaches I use when I have an opportunity to share the gospel. I want to mention them. The first one is kind of my own approach. It's a problem-solution-response approach. Just those three words capture the idea. The problem I identify is sin. That's what keeps us from a relationship with God, our own waywardness, our own rebellion against God. The problem that we're addressing is sin. The solution is Jesus, specifically because of who he was and what he came to do. That he was the son of God and God the son, the sinless one. And he died in our place and for our sins. So the problem is sin. The solution is Jesus because of who he was, the sinless one. And because of what he did, he died in our place and for our sin. He paid the price. And the response that God is looking for is faith or trust. Now more and more I'm using the word trust to define this one because if you ask most people, do you believe in Jesus, they'd say yes, of course I believe in Jesus, but have you trusted him? Have you put your trust in him to be your savior? Now this could be explained in one minute, maybe two minutes, you could explain to someone, well, this is really what the issue is. The problem, the thing that separates us from God is our, our sinfulness, God's holy and we're not. And we can't fix it, so God sent his son into the world. Jesus is the answer because of who he is and what he did. He died in our place and for our sin and rose again from the dead, showed the payment had been accepted by God, and the response God's looking for is that we put our trust in him. Simple way to do it. A second approach I use is been called the Romans Road. Five verses from the book of Romans that Paul kind of lays out the path. Romans 323, 623, 5, 8, 10, 9, and 1013. These are verses I would encourage you to memorize. If you had these memorized, you would be ready to go. And so I've said to people, well, let me, can I explain what Paul had to say about this from the book of Romans? In Romans 323, he said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, that's the problem. We all fall short of God's standard of righteousness. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I say, you know, you work a job, you get your wage, right? I mean, no one's surprised when you get a paycheck for what you've been doing. You get a wage for what you do. And Paul said that the wages of our sin, the penalty of our sin, what we've earned is death. And sometimes I'll expand this just a little bit to say, by the way, in the Bible, there are three kinds of death. There's physical death, there's spiritual death, and there's eternal death. All three of them are really a separation. For example, physical death is a separation of the body and the spirit. The body stays here, spirit goes somewhere. That's what we call that death, but it's a separation. That's physical death. Spiritual death is a separation of people from God relationally. It's what happened in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were hiding from God. Ever since then, we've all been hiding from God. And then there's eternal death, which is being separated from God again for all eternity. And that's what all of us have earned because of sin. We're separated from our Creator. Romans 5, 8, but God 
demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible, but God, while we were still in our rebellion, he sent his son to die in our place and for our sin. Romans 10, 9 shows our response. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, or you confess the Lord Jesus, it's a reference to his deity. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's where I get this idea. It's about who he was and what he did. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or Jesus is Lord, the divine one, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be delivered from the penalty of your sin. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why don't you call out to him? Acknowledge your sinful condition and reach out to Jesus, and it's just a simple approach. The last approach, I don't want to develop too much, but it's called the bridge diagram. You can Google it. You go, you know, Gospel bridge diagram. I'm sure you'll come up with it. it in a, I usually ask or use a napkin when I explain the bridge diagram with someone. I'm maybe at a table or something. I say, can I borrow your napkin? Because theirs is usually cleaner than mine for some reason. And I'll just ask them, what do you think people are like? What, is, what are people like? And I'll just write the word people and they'll mention a few things. But almost always what comes up is that they're sinful and they're selfish and other things. And then I'll say, what do you think God is like? And they'll mention, well, God is love, but they'll also usually mention he's holy or sinless, he's perfect. And then I say, well, here's kind of the problem here, and I draw two lines separating the man and God or the person and God. There's a chasm there. It's because of sin. Romans 3.23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I usually write that right in the middle, Romans 3.23. Then I ask the question, how do people try to bridge the gap? I mean, it's a nice visual. How do you bridge the gap? You know, well, people say, well, going to church. And so I'll draw a little arrow, church. Doing good. Draw a little arrow. Doing good. You know, being, uh, following the golden rule, maybe. Golden rule. But none of the arrows reach the other side. I say, what's the problem here? Well, because none of these address the problem of our sinfulness. If you go to church, you're still a sinner who goes to church. If you doubt me, go. A lot of sinners in church, aren't there? Just because you go to church doesn't erase the fact we're sinners. You might be a, a, a good person overall, but it doesn't erase the fact you've done sinful things. None of these erase our sinfulness. We can't clean ourselves up enough to reach a holy God. And then at this point, I draw a cross that connects the two sides. And it's a bridge. And I Quote John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus provided the way to cross over to the other side because he was the God-man. Fully God, fully man, he was the one that could intercede, the one who would come between the two and, and bridge the gap and you put our trust in Christ. I don't know that it matters what approach you use, but the idea that you have an approach or something you could say if someone asked you now, if you are communicating your faith, Peter mentions a way that is important that we keep in mind in terms of the way we do it. In verse 16, he said, however, do it with gentleness and respect. Sometimes Christians are preachy. Sometimes the way they talk about their faith is so condescending, like I have the answer and you don't, or I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a saint and you're a sinner or something. We talk down to people. 
I think we need to do it re with respect. When I find people are of different religions, I find that fascinating, so I just ask them about it. You know, what, what do you believe and what's it about? And I, I love the fact that people are trying to see God in various places. We just need to be respectful and kind. A scholar by the name of Raymer puts it this way, a believer's testimony should not be given in an arrogant manner, but with gentleness and respect. And so I think we need to be ready. And by the way, oftentimes we don't want to enter into this discussion about how a person gets right with God because we're afraid that they're going to ask us something we don't know the answer to. You don't have to know all the answers. It's okay to say, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. I some years ago read a story about someone, and I don't remember if it was John 3.16 or John 3.36, but this young man put his faith in Christ and he had memorized this verse. And he was telling someone how he'd become a Christian. How John 3.16, he'd maybe put put his faith in Christ. And the guy said, Yeah, but what about people who've never heard? And this young man said, I, I don't know. What I know is that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He said, well, what about suffering in the world? How could there be a God when there are children that are suffering in the world? He said, I don't know. What I do know is that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah, but what about other religions? Are you saying that they're all wrong? He said, I don't know. All I know is God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And the guy said, so what you're saying is God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever, yes. We don't need to know all the answers, just the one. And so I think we need to have a, a prepared heart and a prepared message. But the last thing that we need is a prepared life. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.16, keep your conscience clear. So that when you're accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. This is kind of what I talked about last week. As Christians, we're not going to be perfect. And we will be falsely accused sometimes. Don't be surprised that you're sometimes going to be falsely accused. Peter was writing to people that were suffering persecution. And, and it's going to happen, but he said, you keep your conscience clear. You watch how you live your life because people are watching your life. Let, as I said last week, your life match the message. Now, again, we won't be perfect. And I think sometimes making mistakes and getting it wrong is one of the best things we can do because it just knocks down our pride. It just puts us in the same boat as everybody else. Yes, I'm, I'm, I don't have it together. You don't have it together. None of us do. That's not the issue. The issue is Jesus, that we can experience forgiveness. And so I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm going to get it wrong. And I have more things wrong than you even know. I'm worse than you might even think I am. We all blow it in many ways. But at the same time, I think it's important that we watch our lives and, and recognize that people are looking at us. They're observing us, and they're wondering, is this what a Christian looks like? And so Paul wrote in a couple places, he said, in the effect, he said, I do my best to maintain a blameless conscience, both before God and other people. I just, am, I just work hard to make sure that there's nothing there. Of all things, for example, Peter would say, don't be accused of, of being dishonest. You know, you might be wrongly accused, but don't let it be true that you were dishonest or that you lied here or you stole here or whatever. No, live up to your profession of faith. And it can make a difference in terms of reaching people for Christ. It'll draw them. 
to Christ. Now, I think this third point is a direct result of the first one. In other words, if you set Christ as Lord in your heart, the third one will take care of itself. I don't know that you need to worry about all the individual things you may or may not be doing. No, if Christ is in his proper place, he'll change the third one. He'll begin to change it from the inside out, and that's his job anyway. As we walk in step with him, he'll do it. So I encourage you here to be ready. I mean, people may ask you, over the years I've had at least a half a dozen people before I was a pastor who asked me, what is it? What do you have? Or what's the answer? Or what must I do? For various reasons, not because I was perfect. I make mistakes, everyone, we all do, but there was something there. There's something there that caused people to at least ask the question. And if they do, the question is, are you ready? Have you set up our Christ as... Lord, in your heart, so that if he directs you to say something, you'd be willing to do it. Do you have the message? Are you able to articulate it? And is your life a prepared message in and of itself? I encourage you to be ready. And again, some of you here today, as I've mentioned the other weeks, maybe don't know where you stand with God. And for you, the step is to put your trust in Christ. We've talked a lot about it tonight. It's simply a matter of acknowledging your, your condition, your sinful condition, and reaching out to Jesus is the answer. But we have a little book that we could offer you out at the guest uh, central area there or after the service. We usually have people up here that are willing to talk with you or pray with you. You can talk with me about it. You can go to Starting Point. Certainly find the answer. I don't think there's any message that's more important than this one, that you make sure that you're right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that it is good news. Thank you that it's not about what we do, but what you did for us. Thank you that you found a way for sinful people to become your children, adopted into your family. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice you were willing to make on our behalf to send your son to be our savior. We embrace him tonight. We're grateful tonight. And we look forward to an eternity we get to spend with you because of Jesus. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.